everybody. My name is Alexis Kinlan. Um, I'm an Edmonton-based uh, poet, journalist, and fiction writer. And I'm very pleased to be hosting um, the Writers Guild of Alberta reading series tonight. Um, we're hosting Leif Gregerson with his book, Alert and Oriented Times Three. Um, I just like to, Leif is also from Edmonton. I just like to acknowledge that we are on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional meeting grounds, gathering place, and traveling route to the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Metis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. We acknowledge all the many First Nations, Metis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for centuries. Um, and now I'm going to introduce Leif, and then he's going to do a reading for you. Hi there. Leif? Oh, sorry. Oh, do you want me to start and read your bio? I can read Yeah, please, then that would be great. Okay. Leif Gregerson is a sought after poet, often asked to write and read poems for special events. He has published four books of poetry along with three memoirs of his experience with mental illness, three short story collections and two short novels. He is also a freelance journalist, public speaker and teacher. Leap has won numerous awards for his writing, including three story slams and a short story contest with 500 writers competing against him. His work can be found on amazon.ca and at the Edmonton Public Library, and he is always happy to mail signed copies of his books upon request. Leap feels that first and foremost, his purpose is to reduce the stigma and increase awareness of mental illness. His work is carried out carried out in hopes of easing the suffering of people who are afflicted with chronic mental health issues and, and their loved ones. Okay, so uh, this is my book, Alert Norton Into Times Three. Um, it came out, it, it resulted uh, from me having a change in medications. I had, I had been doing really well for about 18 years and I had a change of medications to a very new, very, uh, it wasn't very experimental, but it was a very groundbreaking medication. And it simply didn't work for me. And I slipped into psychosis. And um, so I wanted to read from my book. The first thing I wanted to read was uh, a statement at the beginning that my father wrote. Um, he just put everything together so well and, and expressed it so well that uh, I decided it'd be a good way to introduce the book to you. Um, at a very early stage in Leaf's childhood, we detected something not quite right without being able to name it. And I suppose not qu quite willing to accept that our youngest son had shortcomings that very much appeared to be beyond our ability to do much to heal. As Leaf advanced to school age, the expected improvements did not take place. And he now began showing signs of depression that began devastating our family. Coping with an immature child having episodes of an illness that belongs to an adult was at best extremely difficult and often demanded time Leaf's brother and sister did not get. Still, Leaf displayed an intelligence far beyond expectations and then again, he really did not have the knowledge or methods of application that could have given direction. Teachers at school tried, tried time and again to give leads and directions, which eventually failed. He simply did not have the fertile grounds to allow for growth. Throughout elementary school, Leaf did well as far as classroom work was concerned. He maintained reasonable grades, but was not able to create bonds, bonds with the children in his grades. 
During these years, we were continually faced with withdrawals and isolations that at times appeared to be endless and also impossible to penetrate. When we caught these early enough, it was possible to take leave out for long drives. During these trips, he would sleep a great deal and gradually come out of depression and again take part in activities going on around him. This too was time consuming and not always possible, being self-employed at the time. His mother staying home was a huge help. Junior high. Now there's an example why children of that age should not be separated into their own group. The maturity is simply not present. Leaf is still as smart as he was then, and yet the aggression needed to deal with individuals and groups was just not there. The one-upmanship is often a very cruel instrument and those who have already been turned in that direction. Patience and consideration were not a part of that sitting, and teachers were not always trained in dealing with challenged children. Those were difficult times for Leaf, and entering into high school was not really an improvement, although he appeared to be dealing with friends better. Then came the big breakdown that removed every hope we ever had, the realization that Leaf was now beyond any hope. There was no help that would ever come was finalized. The devastation was impossible to comprehend. During his ski trip to Jasper, Leaf became increasingly incomprehensible. He was in a group along with his sister. The reports we received were mixed and differed in what happened. We gathered that the group had eventually left Leaf to his own devices, apparently feeling stretched out, not alone, just off by himself. Within a day of returning home, Leaf was admitted to the U of A hospital and remained there for a short period. He was later sent to Alberta Hospital. From there, it became a treadmill in and out of hospitals, experimentally discharged only to become violent and be forced back into a setting he had become very fed up with. Having alienated himself, it was impossible to live with him. Violence, destruction were repeated again and again. The next years passed with Leaf living more like a derelict than anyone deserves. Ultimately, he was given decent living quarters in a group home. The beginning of a return to normalcy began. The progress did not stop and is still going. Today, Leaf can boast of the accomplishment of writing 10 volumes of books. Unable to find a publisher, he single-handedly conducted a sales campaign that has yielded great results and kept him fairly affluent, also in part due to the support received from people who became his friends. So that's my dad's introduction. Um, one of the things I did with this book was I added in a lot of different uh, sort of uh, unique things, um, including my clinical notes uh, from my doctors and nurses and uh, essays and poems I wrote. Um, this is a very short poem that I wrote while I was actually a patient in the, in the uh, uh, what do you call it, the lockdown or the ice, the, segregation ward for when you where you go when you just start out there and you don't they don't know how to treat you so here goes deep inside a mind enslaved and yet i'm free until the grave waits the reaper birth to death a gasp a scream then the final breath um i thought i thought that was kind of an interesting poem uh i wrote some commentary to it that is that you'll see in the book and i'm, I'm going to read that uh, something I noticed that often happens to me when I'm a patient in the hospital is that I often arrive aggressive, mean, and verbally abusive. There's a Clint Eastwood movie called Heartbreak Ridge I've seen many times where Clint plays someone who is quite plainly a bully. But in the end of the movie, everyone loves and respects him for being tough enough to train his men properly for combat. And he even rekindles a relationship with his ex-wife as a result of finding his more sensitive side, but still being tough as nails. 
Often when I'm delusional, I try to act like his character, a mean gunnery sergeant with every insult or karate move always at the ready. After my aggressive stage, I go through a phase where I, where I feel horrible but have plenty of reserve energy. The worst phase to go through is the next one when I have been through so much I'm ready to give up. What is worst about seeing, being sick enough to be admitted to a hospital may be the psychosis I experience, but close second is the constant worry that I'll never get out. Now I understand, though evidence from delusions and hallucinations made things pretty convincing, that all the disturbing delusional things weren't true. But I really went through hell as these things were happening. Um, so another part is an introduction I wrote myself. Uh, this is from my introductory notes. My name is Leif Gregerson. I am an author, a brother, a son, a psychiatric survivor, and I like to think I'm an also, also an advocate for the mentally ill. We live in a difficult world, and it sometimes seems to me that nothing has ever been certain. As a young boy, I lived in terror of nuclear war and the destruction of my world and all those I knew and loved. When the nuclear threat seemed to subside in our world, horror stories began to be told as to what would happen to our planet, regardless of whether it was destroyed or not, as the atmosphere was eroding and global warming would soon rob us of the beauty of nature that I had so deeply cherished. Before any part of that issue was settled, I began to realize how many of the choices I made would affect the rest of my life, from my love of cheeseburgers to my choice to smoke cigarettes. And yet none of these problems could even be considered until I had found peace within myself. More specifically, until I had found medications that would deal with my mental illness and methods of dealing with my fractured personality. In all the years of those difficulties, I never seemed to find the peace that I did from religious practice, from learning more about how to make sense of the world by believing in and having a relationship with a creative and loving force. Even that, though, came sometimes with solid promises of an apocalyptic, ap apocalyptic time and events that seemed to mirror so well what was going on in our troubled world. I remember feeling as though I was watching a perfectly cut piece fit into a jigsaw puzzle when I learned that the Russian word for wormwood, uh, wormwood is a word used in the final book of the Bible to describe the degradation of air and water in the end times, uh, that wormwood was translated as Chernobyl. At a fairly difficult stage in my life, I feel like experienced a personal crisis spending time in the psychiatric hospital, experiencing delusions of persecution, delusions of grandeur, and painful piercing belts of sadness. What I learned from all that was that it was me that had to change, not the world, not the environment. It couldn't be done by saving souls or self-harm or any of the things the world had taught me that supposedly had to be done. The truth, the true path to peace was to a peace within myself. I've taken this time the time to write this book, focusing on a recent hospital stay in a psychiatric ward, in hopes that somehow others can read about what I went through as my conception of reality strayed further from the norm. I acted out and even tried to hide myself. These things happened as I reacted to a change in medications. What the mental health system, my family, friends, and I did about this was deceptively simple but unendingly difficult and painful to have done. Without wanting to play the, play the role of a victim, I wrote this volume so that those who don't understand mental illness but are afflicted with it and their loved ones can experience less grief and hardship than I went through, that I went through. This is why a lot of my friends from my teenage years saw me as, saw as the true goal of parenting. This is what a lot of my friends from my teenage years 
so I'm continuing to see as the true goal of parenting, to teach one's children not to make as many mistakes as they have, to let the next generation do one better than they did as their parents had done for us. So I'm just gonna jump ahead um, to another poem that I wrote while in the hospital, just a short one again. Uh, a child among the family, gentle love as an autumn breeze, my happy wife, just we three, sacred oath from a bended knee. It, it's kind of interesting because I was really in a, in a in a terrible place when I wrote these, but some of them are some of them are just kind of moving. Um, so here's what I had to say about that one. It's odd to think of myself as a poet, even though I now live and breathe poetry and have been making a name for myself in Edmonton, not to mention having four books in print, being a contributor to a project to engrave poetry on the sidewalk in my neighborhood, being asked to write poems for gatherings and commanding a good wage as a teacher of poetry classes and workshops. In high school, we took five days of, Eng of an English course and skimmed over a few poems and were expected to be able to converse on them. I still recall people I considered as not as smart as I was being able to give all kinds of feedback about a poem that left me totally at a loss. It was when I read my third Shakespearean play that all that began to change. Something clicked and all of a sudden the words became electric to me. I soon began to love philosophy and I honestly consider Shakespeare to be my first taste of it. I recall as a young kid of 11 or 12, our class went to see a play called Billy Bishop Goes to War. It's a single person two hour narrative. And when I got home, I tried to act out the whole play for my brother. Some of my greatest regrets are that I never took a drama course, even though I had leanings in that direction. My whole life was about weighing and counting the amount of effort it would take to make money faster one way over another. In high school, I abandoned any fun courses, even gym class and mechanics in favor of what I thought would get me into university to study law. In one year, as I suffered from horrible depression and insomnia, I quit cadets, met the young woman of my dreams and became totally enamored with poetry. I recall dragging my parents' huge volume of Edgar Allan Poe to work just to read his incredibly structured and rhyming poetry. Last summer, I, ed I edited and instructed disadvantaged people, people's poetry in a drop-in center and safe injection site called the Bissell Center. What they wrote was put into a book about the opioid crisis called Cycles and Circles, and it's something I feel very proud of. I feel it touches the heart of the vulnerable and addicted, and that it helps save lives by getting the problem of addiction out in the open. It even gives maps to uh, safe drug use centers, places to get overdose kits, and how to use them. Writing is magic. I never did marry or have any kids, but now that I've established myself as a poet, I feel I'm no longer the monster I was growing up, who was obsessed with war, hate, anger, violence, rank, and power, and money. Poetry can be so very powerful. It certainly changed me. I honestly feel writing these poems when I was in the hospital gave me a rope to hang on to as I was falling deep into drowning. So the last part of my reading, um, I have a poem I titled, I Am Not a Schizophrenic. Um, this is more about the language of schizophrenia, and this is a poem that I didn't, uh, I didn't write in hospital, I, I wrote it out full, full uh, when I was uh, feeling okay. So I am not a schizophrenic. Some people call me schizophrenic, but the fact is I'm not simply some disease. I'm a kid who's seen more crap in 14 years than most people can believe. 
Some people think they understand my problem. Truth is I just got off at the wrong stop on the bus route to growing up and freedom. I messed, met a nasty dude who won't let up. I won't speak too much of I knew my new buddy. He got me started smoking heavy weed. Even when my mom told me that I shouldn't, I figured there was no reason to believe. The dude I met was three different voices. They talked me doing, into doing all these things like smoking pot and drinking. It seemed the only way to make him leave. The first time my parents saw me bring my friend home when I was high and they were watching TV, they figured they would do the right thing. But the last thing they did was talk to me. I ended up locked inside a psych ward and something I swore I'd never tell. When I told my doctor I liked dope smoking, he told me he smoked the stuff as well. The hospital was a stupid place to send, send an adolescent. They thought it would help me fix my head and rest. But when they let me out with my bag of medication back at school, I never had presence of mind to pass a test. These so-called experts who I saw there never figured they should talk to me, but all too easily they told my parents how this illness would never let me be. I was put on so many pills, I was a zombie, drooling glassy-eyed as one can be. Add to that a month inside the psych ward, and all my classmates laughed and picked on me. As time, I went, as time went by, I seemed to get a little better. Then new voices told me I no longer needed meds. So I took my pills and flushed them down the toilet. And just hours later, I wished that I were dead. Some people call me schizophrenic. Person with schizophrenia is what you should call me. Take all your stigma now and shove it. I'm a human being, not some disease. So that's, that's my readings. Thank you very much, Lee, for, for your readings and for offering us your thoughts and so on. Um, yeah, I have some questions for you. So Great. it seems that you, um, I'm just really curious, like um, when did you start writing? Um, well, it's funny because I remember when I was a kid, my dad mentions about how it was hard to get me happy or excited, but I remember before I could write, um, my parents would get me a, a pad of blank paper and I would just be so happy because I could fill it with drawings. And I actually started writing simple stories with drawings of spaceships and things like that. And uh, I think I think another thing was I really liked MASH and I so I would sometimes draw soldiers that had to be taken to the hospital and things like that. And, um, as far as poetry goes, it, it was very early on that I started to realize that I had a knack for finding rhymes and making rhythm. And um, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, one of my first poems was when I was in the second grade. Uh, we, it was Father's Day and we were making cards and I drew this sort of child's rendition of my dad. And uh, I wrote the poem, uh, what, what was it? Roses are red, violets are blue, coffee is strong and so are you. And, <laughs> I like that. It's <laughs> pretty cool. Good. But that, that was my first poem, uh, and uh, and it, it took quite a while, uh, but I started getting serious about writing poetry at uh, around 20, mm -hmm. and I, I started sending them out, um, but something I, I was kind of, I didn't know a lot about what a vanity press was, and, and so I would take these ads, and I would send them poems, and they'd say, oh, we love your poem, we'll publish it, all you have to do is buy the $75 volume, and you're guaranteed publication. And uh, I never bought them, but I kept sending out the poems. And uh, it just uh, progressed from there over, over a number of years. Mm -hmm. And then you started writing like, I, this is more of a, 
there's poetry in it, but I would say it's more of a memoir. Like, yeah. would you, like how would you classify alert and oriented times three? Um, well, I, I would say it's more of a memoir. Um, it, it's sort of, um, I have a writing mentor. His name is Richard Van Camp. Um, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people know who he is. Um, he, he, I, when, when I approached him with the book and I said, you know, read this and he read it. And I said, well, where do you think I should send it? And he says, well, I have no idea where you can send it because nobody's ever done a book like this before. Mm -hmm. uh, but there actually was one book uh, about mental health that was similar that I drew some ideas from and that was called uh, uh, Girl Interrupted. Okay. Yeah. Into the movie uh, with Angelina Jolie. She won an Oscar for her performance and uh, Winona Ryder. And um, I, I drew a little bit on that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say. I, I put a I put a few writings in there from different things, but essays, all sorts of stuff. Um, I really sort of go by the title uh, where it's where it says alert and oriented times three, and then it says a snapshot of a severe psychosis. Mm -hmm. And and that's all I really like. I didn't intend it really to be a memoir, but I classify it as a memoir. But when I think of it, I think of it just as a snapshot. Just you know, many, from many angles. So I'm also curious because you did include in this, in the book, like, um, so it's the cl clinical notes. So how did you get access to the clinical notes? And, um, you know, why did you want to include them? Um, well, it was fairly easy to get access. Uh, I, I think I just had to fill out some forms. And uh, there was, there's, there's a, a person at the clinic where I go to um the mental health clinic i go to uh they have one person in charge of all the documents and they sort of say stay behind the scenes and i i think i had to fill out a form to give to them and then they gathered up what they could i told them what i wanted what i didn't want and they gathered it up and gave it to me and actually uh uh the names were included in the names of the doctors and nurses were included in the notes uh, but i took them out mm -hmm. and um yeah. Uh, so what was the second part? You asked uh, how I got them and then... Yeah. And why you chose to include them. Oh, um, well, I, I, I really wanted... Um, that was something I just saw done in, in Girl Interrupted. And, uh, and I, I just thought it was... It was re it's really fascinating because when you're in the hospital, you don't get to see from the eyes of the doctor. And like myself, I thought my doctor hated me, but he was actually... Once I read the notes, I realized he was actually a really, you know, caring person and everything. And and um, as I got better and, and I communicated with him later, he was very, very kind about. Uh, I I contacted him. I said, "Well, um, I've got the clinical notes that you've written, and um, I just wanted to get your permission to publish them." And he said, "Those are your property. You okay. can do anything you want with those." And uh, but I still took his name out uh, just, just so there wasn't any problems. And uh, yeah. And then what about the notes of, um, from like, there's a note at the beginning from your sister, I think it is, and then your yeah. dad. So why did yeah. you want to include their statements as um, well? Oh, and a friend, there's a friend. Yeah, Charity Slowby. Um, well, my dad, um, my dad was the key figure uh, throughout the whole process of, of my life. And um, 
like he was he was a very big influence to me when I was really young and then as he got a little older we we sort of uh, started to clash and everything and I, I suppose that's normal with adolescence but it was probably a little worse with me because I, I had sort of an unstable personality um, but and then when I was when I started to get older I got I went in the hospital and I and I think I mentioned it I was actually in the hospital for six months and it was Alberta hospital, which is a, a very difficult place to be. Um, it just, you know, it doesn't feel like home. You really feel like you're in a hospital. And, uh, and um, my dad came and visited me almost every day, which was just a godsend. Well, what was even more important was that after I was released, uh, he didn't sort of just let me uh, wander around in the community or anything. He, he came and picked me up and we would go for a long walk and we'd have a coffee and uh, we would talk and just that little bit of exercise and the, and the, the, the camaraderie and everything that we had. Um, there was this one instance where it just, it, it seems to sum up everything about what my dad was like. Uh, um, we were walking along, we like to walk from Emily Murphy Park over to uh, the Kinsman Sports Center in the Valley. And uh, one time we were walking down this, this, uh, dirt, uh, this street and um, I have this habit because I, I've done since I started playing soccer as a kid is to practice my kicks, I'll, I'll kick a rock mm -hmm. and I'll try to kick it accurate enough so that it'll go ahead of me and I can kick it again. And um, so this is just something I do and it's, it's, uh, it's inside my own head and I don't think anything of it. And one time I was kicking a rock and I, and I had it going for quite a while and then I kicked it and it kind of veered off. And so I figured, okay, well, I'll just leave that, find another rock. But then my dad walked by and he kicked the exact same rock and he kicked it back to where I could kick it again. And uh, just the idea that, that kindness, that playfulness, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, even stupid things that don't matter to anyone matter to, to me and it, it, then it matters to my dad. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was one of the reasons why I wanted him to write it. And also um, just simply the, the different viewpoint. And um, my sister was very instrumental also in, in helping me get better. Um, she came, when I was in the hospital for six months, she, she flew out and uh, she visited me as much as she could. And then when I got out and I started getting better, um, I had really wanted to travel, but I didn't have very much money. I had a part-time job. And it was, someone suggested to me that uh, I approach my sister and say, you know, meet me halfway and I'll come out and visit you. And um, she agreed and, and I went and it was just the most wonderful trip. And uh, my sister was always such a, a, a kind and caring person ready to do anything for me. And, uh, and uh, you know, even though whatever I lacked, my sister made up for it when I was growing up. Mm. And so I was, you know. And then Charity Slobot is just uh, just a very close friend who, um, it was interesting, I met her at a, at a fundraiser or something uh, for a nonprofit of some type. And um, I gave her my card and I didn't think anything of it, uh, but she called me back and I was actually in Toronto at the time. And it didn't bother her that it was long distance. And, uh, and we talked and over, over the next few years, we became quite good friends. We would meet for lunch a lot and she would, uh, she's helped me with so many things like applying for grants and uh, yeah. polishing up my work and things like that. So I, I felt she was pretty important as well to get her viewpoint. Yeah. 
So why did you decide to write this, this book about like this particular hospital stay? Like, why was well, it important for you to share this story? Well, when I started getting sick, um, and when I started finding out why I was getting sick, that it was a medication, um, I thought that I had a pretty valid uh, grounds, grounds for a lawsuit. Mm. And um, I don't know, it, it's possible I could have, I could have sued uh, the pharmaceutical company, which would be next to impossible. They have so much money for that sort of thing. And uh, I even considered suing my doctor, but uh, after, you know, I, I thought about it for a short time and then I just realized he, he had no way of knowing the medication wasn't gonna work. And one of the interesting things was that the medication I was taking, a dose of it every two weeks was like, I don't know, $30 or something in a prescription. Not like I wasn't paying it, but that's what it was, that's what it was costing the healthcare system. The new medication that he tried me out on was something in the order of $600 per, per dose. Yeah. And so it wasn't like he was trying to cut corners or anything like that. Um, he really thought this was going to help. And it, I, it felt a little frustrating. And uh, then I remembered, uh, I remembered re reading a poem about a poet who um, sort of had a guy laugh at him and make fun of him because he was a poet. And he says, well, this is the sort of thing businessmen would handle and things like that. And he said, I got back at him. I wrote a poem about him. <laughs> and uh, so um, my, way, my way of getting back at whatever, whatever bad luck in the universe that uh, made me sick again, my way of getting back was to write the book. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's a, it's a lot better than suing personally. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to remind any audience members if they want to submit any questions in the chat, um, we can take questions too. Um, so I can just ask another question to Leaf and we'll see if any questions come up and are relayed to us. So the other thing, oh, the other thing I never mentioned is your website. So this book is actually on your website too. Um, well, when I, when I first wrote the book, um, there's a couple of things that happened. It was during the pandemic. And so I couldn't get out and do any promoting or selling. And um, I printed up about 100 copies and, and they were moving quite slowly. I still sold to family and friends and people at the clinic and things like that. But uh, um, I put it on my website and it was something I, I heard Neil Gaiman say. Um, he had one of his books had been pirated and copied over the internet thousands of times and he didn't get any royalties for it and at first he was really upset and then he found out that um while his books were being pirated his sales went up like three times or something like that and um, so i thought you know why, why don't i try that and i i put my book uh, on my website for free as a pdf download i got a few hundred downloads and i thought that was that was pretty cool um, there's information about my books on my website, um, but really uh, you can't purchase it through there because I've never straightened out everything with PayPal and MasterCard and whatever yeah. else. Uh, but anybody, anyone who's interested in the, book, in the book can either email me and I'll put my email in the chat um, or uh, another way to get it, uh, especially if you have a Amazon Prime membership is you can order it from any of the Amazon stores. Um, so also like with this book, did you, 
how did you choose the title alert and oriented times three well alert and oriented times three is sort of a term that nurses use to uh, assess patients and a few times it, it, it appears in some of the clinical notes and, and i i'm not totally sure how it works but i think it's like alert to uh alert to the person talking to them or aware of the person talking to them aware of where they are and aware of their situation and um yeah so so i just thought that kind of re resounded and it was it was interesting i added this I added the subtitle, a snapshot of uh, severe psychosis, uh, because a lot of people really didn't know what alert and oriented meant. But just about every person who's been a nurse or anything like that is like, oh, cool title. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that, but yeah. Um, so you also mentioned that you were teaching a lot in this, like in the in the book you mentioned teaching writing several times. So where were you teaching? Yeah. Well. Um, that was that was kind of the interesting thing. Um, I had gotten a, a job through the Learning Center to teach creative writing at Alberta Hospital. And um, I had been actually sent there by the E4C, the Edmonton City Center Church Corporation. Uh, they, they run the building I live in. And they had gotten me to, to go out and do some uh, limited sessions of teaching uh, at the hospital. And um, then I was told, well, why don't you try the, the learning center? And I, and I contacted them and they said, oh, we're actually looking for somebody who can teach English at a, or teach creative writing at Alberta Hospital. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> that's, in, that's interesting because I can do that. And, but the funniest thing was um, as I was getting ill after I started on the new medication, um, my last day of, be, of being at the hospital I was quite ill and I was having troubles with paranoia and all that stuff. And um, by that evening, I was uh, a patient in the Green Arms. Oh. And I had been working in mental, the psychiatric hospital. I'm sorry, I almost said bad word. But I'd been working in the psychiatric hospital that morning and ended up in another hospital that night. And, uh, but after I got out, I, I went through a sort of a recovery phase and uh, it didn't last too long. And uh, they took me back at Alberta Hospital. I'm on summer break right now, but it's, it's a job I really enjoy. Um, I go to, it, it's sort of, I sort of uh, run my class out of an area that's near the young adult ward. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of people that are going through what I did. And I show them different ways to use writing to express themselves and things like that. And I even try to give them, you know, some advice from my own experiences and things like that. And um, it's, uh, it's extremely rewarding. Um, it's not terribly lucrative or anything like that, although they, they do pay a very fair wage. Uh, but I just, you know, I just wouldn't, wouldn't rather be anywhere else. I do that one day a week and actually in the summer, uh, if anyone's interested, once again, they can, uh, they can uh, uh, attend the class. Uh, I live near Giovanni Kubota Park in Little Italy. It's next to the Italian Center Shop. And uh, we're going to have an outdoor class of poetry in the park uh, starting nice. on the 15th. So, yeah. And it'll run for six weeks. And we're, we're going to do it along with a... Um, 
we're going to do it along with a chapbook and have a contest to see who writes the best judged poem and two hundred dollar award. And yeah, so it's going to be lots of fun. Yeah, that's and also outside. So that's like, were you teaching during COVID or were you virtually teaching or how did that work? I was mostly teaching online. Mm -hmm. um, I had uh, let me see. I I was teaching one class for the Wellness Network and another for Edinburgh Hospital. And then sort of early on in the pen or around the middle of the pandemic, I, I should say, um, they discontinued the classes for the for the online for the wellness network or I finished up. I finished up one and one was discontinued. And then uh, I started going to the hospital uh, in person. Okay. So we do have an audience member question. Michelle would like to know who your favorite author is. Uh, my dad is my favorite author. <laughs> um, it's funny because if he's listening, uh, he might he might be angry, but, but uh, he tried to be a writer when he was younger, and uh, he did some fantastic stuff. Uh, but he never he I, I I think he might have sent a couple things out or something, but he was he was discouraged early on. Uh, and I'm pretty sure if if that's the Michelle who I know it is, mm -hmm. um, she's gonna know that I'm gonna say Robert M. Persig. Uh, he wrote Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And um, I was over at my brother's house one time and I saw this book and it just looked iconic to me because I had seen, you know, people playing around with the same font, uh, doing similar titles and stuff like Zen in the Art of uh, New Jersey or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and so I saw this book finally, the actual book, and I started reading it and I just couldn't stop. I was just so captivated by it. And there was this part in it where uh, it's a story of a man riding a motorcycle around America with his son and his two best friends uh, on another bicycle, a motorbike. And um, there was a part where he all of a sudden gets a recollection of something and they don't talk much about it, what it was, but it hit him like a ton of bricks and he, he slowed way down and his friends didn't know what was going on. His son didn't know what was going on. And you start to slowly hear that he had schizophrenia and he had been through shock treatments mm -hmm. and um, it was just so, so moving and, and so well done. Uh, yeah, I wish he had written more books, but his, he, he wrote um, Zen and Motorcycle Maintenance and then he wrote a sequel that not as many people know about. It was called Lila. And um, my sister's gonna laugh because this is a sort of a secret I try to keep. Uh, when I was very young, my parents didn't give me a haircut for a while, and um, my nickname was Lila instead of Leaf. And then my favorite author came out with a book with that title in it. I didn't think it was a coincidence, or I, 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 I thought I knew it was a coincidence, but uh, but it was a very interesting one. Okay, so we have another question here. Caroline asks if I want to put purchase a copy of this book you're discussing. So alert and oriented times three, I'm guessing. Yep. Um, could that be a doable thing? Like, would it be able, would she be able to get a hardcover? Just paperback at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sorry about that, Caroline. I have a question. Did you design these, these covers in the back yourself? Like, well, this was the back, the back was a picture I took. Uh, that was, uh, I, have, I have a friend who um, 
he's a major book hoarder and literally he had a, he had a small apartment in Edmonton and out of this small apartment he took five U-Hauls full of books to northern BC to his retirement property uh three of those times I drove the truck for him and then he got a couple other people for the other ones uh but just uh just the open road. I mean, it's got a picture of the highway and everything, you know, in the mountains. And that's just, that's where I like them to be the most in the world, you know, uh, just out in the mountains and the trees and everything. Uh, the picture on the front, um, it, I'm, I am an amateur photographer. And uh, the picture on the front was, uh, I have this camera that, that does high speed shooting. And I set it to the high speed setting. And uh, then I'll sneak up behind a bird. And when he flies away, I just close the shutter and it'll take about 10 shots right away. And then I pick the best one. And, uh, and then I use that one for whatever I need it for. And so, so I did take the one on the front as well. And, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And it contrasts really nice with like the, the pink and the, and the blue. Yeah. Yeah. I like how the light shines through his feathers. It's actually birds are just really light. Mm -hmm. so, I have I have a bad habit of uh, quoting trivia. They say they say that if you eat very little, you eat like a bird. But actually, a bird eats about three times their weight each day because of the amount of strength it takes to to beat their wings. Hmm. So, are you working on anything in particular right now? Like I am. Uh, I I've written a lot of short stories and, and uh, tried to send them out. Um, at the moment, I put a collection together um, for my best stuff over the past few years. I published uh, two short story collections. One was called The Base Jumpers and the other was called Mustang Summer. And um, I, I, don't, uh, I don't actively promote them because I kind of don't feel they're as good. I mean, there are some good stories in them, but I, I don't feel they're as good as what I'm doing now. Uh, but what, what I'm doing right now is uh, I've, I've sent them to a private editor and she sends me, uh, as, as she goes through it, she sends me uh, the short stories and I take her suggestions. And uh, then once that's done, there's, there's got to be a copy edit so for errors and things like that and formatting. And uh, yeah, so I've actually kind of written that book, but um, I, it's still, I'm still working on it. And uh, something... I don't even know what got me started on it, but just out of the blue, I, I decided to start trying to write uh, personal essays. Oh yeah. And I um, I got into a class, I take a university class called Humanities 101. And um, I have to I have to give a lot of kudos to my uh, professor, uh, Lisa Prince, who's just wonderful. Um, uh, I, so I take this class and as part of that class, I was allowed to apply for sort of a scholarship course uh, of two weeks long about writing, writing a personal memoir. And, and the, 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 uh, the uh, stipulation was that it had to be, you had to be a first generation writer. And with my dad having been born in Denmark and all that sort of qualified me. And so I did this and um, it, it's been pretty amazing because I had a an essay published in a article in a publication called uh, the News Station, and it's it's what is defined as an alt weekly, so it's an internet sort of thing. They focus a lot on uh, prison, and uh, they focus a lot on things like marijuana, different things like that. And I so I had an 
article published in there and they asked for another one and I sent them that and they approved it, paid me for it. They haven't published it yet, but they said, once we do publish your second article, we want to hear about your forthcoming pieces and stuff. So, so it's going really well. Yeah. So we have another question. Um, Sarah asks, Leaf, I'm amazed by your productivity of 10 volumes. I am too. So what's your secret? Do you use a daily word count? Do you say no to distractions? Do you write at home or away from home? Um, well, that's funny. The other day I, I uh, grabbed a laptop and I headed out, out to McDonald's and um, it was actually, it, it was a pretty productive morning. Um, now, uh, one of the key things I think that I did in advance of starting my writing career was uh, I took a typing course in high school and I ended up with a fairly decent speed. It's like 56 words per minute, no errors. And um, I just always had sort of a talent for typing fast. And um, for the first while that wasn't a benefit because I would, I would write a lot of stuff, but it wouldn't be as cohesive and everything. Uh, but as I'm growing more experienced then um, more of what I more of what I type is makes it into the final draft, I guess I could say. Um, another thing is, um, I love to write. It, it's absolutely the greatest feeling in the world, uh, just to, to create something and for people to read it and get something from it. Um, when I was 19, I was living in BC and I took out a student loan to get a pilot's license. And um, it was it was amazing. It was so incredible just getting in this machine, you know, and taking flight and and looking at the mountains and the ocean and and everything all at once. And um, I thought that was what I wanted to do. And I had to stop doing it because of my mental health issues. And um, I was devastated. Uh, but like more recently, when I when I started to really get into writing and really enjoy it. Um, I, I don't miss it at all. I, I totally feel that this has completely replaced uh, flying for me in my life. Um, I, I do have a lot of time on my hands. I just have a couple of part-time jobs and I have very low rent. And so I try to be as frugal as I can and make my money last as long as I can so that I have more time to write. And um, I also, I have a sort of a rule that I, I don't like to let a day go by uh, without having accomplished something. So I'll write a little bit. And if I'm working on something like a short story collection or a book uh, or a novel, I mean, um, I do set word count, like uh, a short story of 3,000 to 3,500 words or 3,000 words in a, in a novel or something like that, so. Yeah. Well, wow. I think, yeah, we're just, we're just about at, I think we're at time. So um, I just want to thank everybody for watching and for your questions. And I'd also like to thank you, Leaf, for just um, sharing so much and um, for, you know, sharing your story with us and, and your work. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody have a great one.